DJ PK, it is time to talk jazz basketball with Ben Anderson. You hear him on the jazz radio broadcasts, pregame, halftime, and postgame. He joins us now on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Ben, good morning. Good morning, guys. Ben, 12-1, and 17-2. 18 and 4 since Joe Ingles went into the starting lineup to stay. Is there anything to worry about the Jazz right now, or should Jazz fans just sit back and let the good times roll? Yeah, I think they're going to keep seeing, I mean, maybe not 30 point victories over playoff teams, but they're just going to see a lot of wins. There's just not a lot of teams right now that are clicking the same way the Jazz are. And yeah, I say kick your feet up and try and enjoy the next 40 games as you get ready for the playoffs and then hope they can make a magical run on top of it. But. This is by far the best regular season basketball I've seen the Jazz play in a very long time. Yeah, no question about that, Ben. Handicap us, handicap for us the competition that they will face in the postseason. What do you think? Uh, it, it, I mean, they could get up to the two seed, and then of course you're, you know, it, it depends on on some of the rest of the seeding and which side of the bracket you end up on. But I mean, the first round that the Jazz are playing like this might be relatively easy. You know, if the Jazz are playing at this level, and I know they lost to the Thunder in uh, early December and it didn't look great, but if you play the Thunder and you're playing this well, that I just don't think they have the upside. I don't think the, the uh, Oklahoma City has the ability to play at the level the Jazz are playing at right now, even when they get into the playoffs and slow the game down. So you might be able to get a, a relatively easy first-round victory, and I know that's putting the cart before the horse, but... You know, then you're hoping for some favorable matchups. You're hoping that you end up on the side of the bracket that has Denver and has Dallas, and, and you can avoid L.A., probably Houston, and I should say both L.A. teams on, on the other side of the bracket. And I mean, I think that's, that's the Jazz' best path to coming out of the West, but th- that happens. You know, uh, Portland almost did it last year, and they ran into the Warriors, and that was a buzzsaw, but there isn't a Warriors team this year unless you're talking about the Milwaukee Bucks, and even then, if the Jazz were to get into that conversation, that means they made the finals, and the Jazz have matched up well with the Bucks this year. So when I look at some of the other teams that might the Jazz might see in the first round, I know, and uh, and Yach has expressed this on multiple occasions, uh, I don't want to see Houston, I got hardened PTSD, but... The Jazz problem with the Rockets was they could get open shots and they couldn't make them. It was so frustrating. And this team is built so differently than the team, the teams that lost to the Rockets. Why, uh, why worry about that? Yeah, I mean, the only reason would be James Harden. But if you have PTSD about James Harden, Russell Westbrook should have PTSD about the Utah Jazz because of what they were able to do to him in that first-round series a couple of years ago where they escaped and, and the Jazz would take advantage of that again. I mean, Russ is not a good playoff player. He's never been a particularly great playoff player. I know they made one run to the finals, but he's had a lot of first-round exits. He's, he's lost a lot of upset series. Uh, certainly their loss with Paul George last year to the, the Portland Trailblazers was uh, another reflection of some of the issues he has in the postseason when every possession matters. And he just he plays a little loose. He plays a little wild. And, and it's not quite playoff basketball. So, that's your pathway to beating them. And, and I mean, the, the Jazz are better than the Houston Rockets this year. I mean, in record, in every statistical category, net rating, whatever you want to look at, the Jazz really are a better team than the Houston Rockets, assuming they can't just flip a switch and, and turn into a team that can make the finals. But, you know, they didn't make the finals last year when they were playing the Warriors, who they were designed to beat, and then the Warriors lost Kevin Durant, who was their best player. 
the Rockets still couldn't get past them, and they made these changes, and the changes don't seem to be working. How long you keep Conley coming off the bench? Uh, I mean, I guess if he's going to play like last night, you could keep him there forever, but I don't think that's the case. I, be, I bet you see it two more games, and then I think the Jazz will start trying to work him back because there's probably no reason to do it against the Warriors unless you want to say, hey, that's not a very good basketball team, and let's see if he can play 30 in that sense and, and feel comfortable. But after the game last night, Mike said that he, he was so comfortable that he'd been wanting to come back and the Jazz hadn't been letting him come back. And I, and I believe that. I, I'm sure five games ago he probably felt like he would be ready to go or before that road trip he traveled on, he'd be ready to go. But the Jazz held him out. And, and there's no reason with how well the team's playing right now to push anything, I don't think. So let that hamstring continue to come back. Let him get his wind back. Make sure he's not forcing anything else. Uh, and, and give him a few more games before he gets cranked up to 30 minutes. You know, I, I don't think they, they can sustain winning 12 out of 13. And as long as they're doing this, why not just stay with the lineup that's crushing it? There's got to be a rocky spot out there somewhere. I mean, the Lakers are the best record in the West, and they lost four games in a row. So I, I was wondering about just keeping it the way it is until there's a rocky spot and then making the move now, then, making the move then as part of getting back on track. I do think one of the advantages Quinn Snyder's working with right now is everybody seems satisfied. Now, I wouldn't say everyone's happy. I'm sure Emmanuel Moutier is mad that he's losing his minutes, and that's not inside information. Just people want to play. Guys want to be on the floor, and it's frustrating when you've been playing and having the best season of your career like Emmanuel Moutier has and then finding yourself out of the rotation because Mike Conley's rehabbing. So I'm sure not everyone's thrilled with the current rotation, but everyone likes winning, and certainly everyone likes winning the way the Jazz are right now. And if you you heard the post-game comments last night, they're – goofing around in the locker room and everyone's having fun and Donovan Mitchell and, and uh, Royce O'Neal did their post-game interview together. I, I do think there's a sense of camaraderie in this group right now because they're playing so well that probably would allow Quinn to push that a little bit more than you could in most locker rooms at this point. Is Bradley good enough as a backup or do they need to make a move? He's been playing so confident lately that it, it's kind of interesting and he's a funny guy. He, he's very shy. He's very modest and it would make sense that he just wants to you know, reward the Jazz for picking him and wants to do everything right and thinks the game really hard and made it more difficult on himself. And then as he has kind of just said, hey, I'm big, I'm pretty physically gifted. I mean, I'm not, he's not a freak athlete, but he's got really good hands. He rolls pretty well to the rim. He can run the floor. He's not a great you know, he's not a great rim-to-rim guy, but he, he can absolutely kind of stay in his lane and, and run a few pick-and-rolls and set some screens and roll the hoop from there. If he can do that, he can probably continue to improve and hopefully over the next 40 games get the experience where he's not going to cost you a playoff series. But that's a gamble, uh, and it's a gamble at a spot where you could probably find a reserve who you trust come the playoff time. And, and I think that's going to be one of the interesting conversations for the Jazz over the next two and a half weeks now is just do you trust Tony Bradley enough to keep him in that spot, and then do you trust that if, if you had to go to Ed Davis you could play him, or do you find somebody to back up Tony Bradley, worst-case scenario, and you, you're, you're okay with him being your number two guy? Jazz are going to play Dallas. I'm overlooking the Warrior game. The Jazz are going to play Dallas on Saturday. What is the we had, we get to see Doncic here? What is the key to beating them? What do the Jazz have to do? I mean, I think you've seen some of what the Jazz approach has been in some of these games that have stars. And I, I mean, I'm sure Quinn Snyder is not saying, "All right, let's play you know Matador defense against Brandon Ingram 
and Tyree Irving, and that'll be good enough for us. Let's stop everyone else. You still want to stop their best players and you game plan for them. But, you know, against the Nets, Kyrie Irving was great and, and had 30 points and nobody else did anything. And then uh, Brandon Ingram had 49 points. And while there were some other good players on the floor, certainly the Jazz put themselves in a spot to win that game because you didn't see enormous performances from other players. And I know they were shorthanded. But the, the Nets did, nobody else other than Kyrie was able to do anything. So th- there may be some sense that Luke is going to get his triple-double. He's going to get 28 points, and he's one of the best young players in the league. But if you can keep uh, Seth Curry from going off, if you can keep DeLon Wright from having 15 points out of nowhere, if you can slow down the other guys, and that, that's going to be the Mavericks I think I'm doing in the playoffs right now with a lot of young guys who've never had a lot of playoff success, even as good as Luka Doncic is. I think that will be the approach, and and the Jazz should be well-equipped for that. They don't necessarily have a defender who's going to be wonderful in front of Luka Doncic. I mean, I'm sure Royce draws that that role again, and maybe that's actually why you keep Mike Conley coming off the bench for two more games, just so you can favor that matchup for 35 minutes. But uh, otherwise, I don't think they have the pieces around Luka Doncic to win games against the best teams in the NBA unless he goes berserk. And I think it's going to keep him from winning a playoff series. Explain what you were saying about how it was a good signing of O'Neal in the short term, but in a couple of years you're going to need him to be way better because of how it fits in financially with what's due for Gobert and Mitchell. Yeah, it's kind of funny. The way we look at salaries in the NBA, we probably look at them a little bit wrong, where we look at the raw number and we say, oh, you could never pay this guy $10 million. Because, you know, I grew up and Michael Jordan made $8 million. So we just kind of get trapped in that, that thinking. When really we need to look at Royce O'Neal and say, well, he makes probably 8% of the salary cap. And for a guy who plays, you know, 12% of your total game minutes, and it's actually pretty good, that number adds up. He, he gets paid a smaller percentage than the percentage of minutes he plays. That, that's a good value if you're a basketball team. So right now, that's awesome. And it's still, I think, going to be a good deal in four years when apparently there's some options attached to it, but I would imagine as long as he's playing okay, the Jazz would pick it up. But it gets different right now where you have you know, 12 guys under roster next season, or I should say under contract next season, or 11 guys, and you're happy to have him. Four years from now, the guys you have under contract, assuming you re-sign Rudy Gobert to a max contract and Donovan Mitchell to a max contract, Boyan Bogdanovich will still be under contract and Joe Ingles will be under contract. Now, the other guy, the fifth guy, is going to be Royce O'Neal. Well, you've only got five guys under contract, and you owe them north of $116 million. And the salary cap will probably be around $120 million, $125 million. You probably re-signed Jordan Clarkson this offseason, but your salary cap is full with six players, or five players, six if you sign Jordan Clarkson this offseason. That means if you're going to be one of those six guys, you have to be one of the best six guys on the Jazz roster. And you could probably make the argument that Royce O'Neal is. I'm sure some, you know, Quinn Snyder would probably make that argument. But right now, Conley's better. Donovan Mitchell's better. Joe Ingles is better. Rudy Gobert is better. Boyan Bogdanovich is better. And I, is Jordan Clarkson better? He might be. So I'm not sure Royce O'Neal, despite the fact that he's guaranteed to be one of your six guys, is going to be one of your best six guys in a couple of years. And that, that changes the way finances look. And, and then your game needs to improve because – the Jazz probably aren't going to be able to afford a, 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 afford a thirty million a thirty million dollar point guard in five years. There's just there's going to be issues for the Jazz like that, which means Royce O'Neal has to out earn his value. Now he's done it at a million and a half dollars. Can he do it at nine million? That's that's a question the Jazz need. Uh, 
him to answer, and the answer needs to be yes. And then the other thing that has to happen built into all of this is they have to keep developing inexpensive players. Because if you look at this team this year, right now, Donovan Mitchell on his rookie contract, uh, Niang and O'Neal, that's at least three guys contributing quite a bit. And none of them are getting NBA the full NBA value right now. They're all going to get it one day if they keep this up. But not now. No, and I think that's probably what the Rajon Tucker signing was. And and maybe even insurance for the Jazz if they didn't think Royce O'Neal was going to resign or they were going to go into the offseason. And they hoped that Rajon Tucker, because he's so good athletically, that, hey, he'd be able to play some defense and then shoot the three. Now, his defensive rating in the NBA has been awful, and he hasn't shot the three at all. So the Jazz probably lost a little bit of comfort with that, that, hey, we don't just have another Royce O'Neal waiting in the wings. So let's get this Royce deal done. Let's get it done before he even goes to free agency so we can get a little bit of a discount, and I think the Jazz did. But, yeah, they're going to absolutely need to find the next guy who makes a million and a half dollars on a three-year contract where the final two years are not guaranteed, and they're going to have to turn that guy into an NBA player. And he might be on the team. It might be me, Aoni. It might be Jarrell Brantley. It might be uh, Justin Wright Foreman. Some of these guys that they have, Rajon Tucker, who we just mentioned, it, it might be one of those guys. But at this point in their career, they're not as good as Ray, uh, as, uh, as Royce O'Neal was his first year. Granted, he was 23, and a lot of those guys are 21 and 22. So going forward, is it nothing but garbage minutes now for Moutier? No, I, I think when Emmanuel or, or when uh, Mike Conley gets moved back into the starting lineup, I still think you probably see Emmanuel Moutier get back into the rotation as your true backup point guard. Now, he's probably only playing 15 minutes a game. Uh, which makes sense because I think you like Donovan Mitchell playing a few minutes of point guard, or you like having minutes where Emmanuel Moutier is not on the floor, but Jordan Clarkson is, and maybe he's playing with Royce O'Neal if Royce O'Neal gets moved back to the bench. And that will just cut a couple of Emmanuel Moutier's minutes. But Mike Conley's 32. He's dealing with a hamstring injury. He's actually kind of got a string of injuries over his career. You want to rest up Donovan Mitchell, who had to pick up some 35-minute stretches uh, over five and six games when the Jazz weren't playing well and they were trying to limit exposure to the bench. I, I think if you can get Moutier back and have him eat 15 minutes a game, and he's not going to lose you games. In fact, you've been playing great over the last 20 games this season because uh, in part of, of what Emmanuel Moutier has been able to do really since Christmas and when he's joined Jordan Clarkson. I, I think there's value to having him in the lineup just to preserve energy, just to limit risk injury uh, to the backcourt because the backcourt is going to be what wins the Jazz uh, you know, a, a playoff series or two, or hopefully, you know, three and four. If you're a Jazz fan, Rudy Gobert is going to be Rudy Gobert. He's always going to have that impact on the game. You need enormous performances and dominant performances from the Jazz backcourt. Donovan, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson are going to have to win games for the Jazz, and and having them healthy come playoff time, where Emmanuel Mudiay might not be in the rotation, is key. But you got to get him there, and Emmanuel Mudiay can help carry him. Ben Anderson joining us here. Utah Jazz radio studio analyst. Hear him on the pre, half, and post game. So, if the Jazz are going to do anything going forward, there's one thing you want them to uh, tinker with, to improve, to get better at. Man, it's hard to see right now. They're 17 and 2. But what is one thing? It would be nice to see the Jazz cut down on their turnovers. Uh, I mean, even last night they had, what, 21 turnovers? And that's, that's concerning, especially when you get to a playoff game, as we've talked about, where possessions matter more. The intensity on every possession is up, and and teams will try and find ways to abuse that. And the Jazz have some weird turnover habits that aren't just, hey, we got sloppy with the ball and we threw a bad pass. And certainly you see that, but, I mean, Boyan Bogdanovich last night had five turnovers. 
And he has a couple. He has those games relatively often where he just over dribbles and, and makes some weird mistakes and, and dribbles high. And, and those are things you need to cut down on because you can't have 21 turnovers in a playoff game where another team is going to turn the ball over 10 times because the Jazz are not a team that turns you over. They just want to let you kind of come in and, and miss a shot to Rudy Gobert and get the ball back. But if they're scoring points off of those turnovers, which opposing teams will and good teams will, especially good teams that are bigger than the Jazz and more athletic than the Jazz when we get to the postseason, and that's most teams in the West, turnovers could become a real issue. So that's something you would like to see the Jazz bring down to 11 a game, 10 a game, have it hover there over the last 40 games and make sure it's not going to be a major issue in the postseason. So when they do have only 10 or 11, make sure you ask Quinn Snyder about it, okay? Yeah, he, he does He does want a, a pat on the back, I guess, when, <laughs> when the Jazz don't turn the ball over. And, you know, he's not telling his team to turn the ball over. He's not telling them to dribble high or, or be loose with the ball. But, yeah, the turnover issue because the Jazz are one of the worst in the NBA certainly does seem to be a sore spot in the locker room. Ben, as always, we appreciate a few minutes, and we look forward to hearing you on the uh, Jazz Pre-Half and Post. All right, guys, we'll see you soon. Ben Anderson, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.